0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you.
1: (laughs) Try some of that. That's a good idea. Who who am I? Auntie Val. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a lot of shores at one time. Mm -hmm. You've never had a blue whale? You should probably try one of those then. You could probably put like four of those in your mouth. Do you need some chocolate? You've already had dinner, right? Dad is my hero. Father's Day is coming up. Did you know that? I know, it's coming like really soon. What do you love about your dad? Um, he reads me stories. He plays with us. My dad is awesome. When he froze me in the air. Now, when he throws you, does he usually catch you as well? Most of the time? mm uh-huh. Okay. Did I mention how much I really like your purple outfit? And I wish it came in my size. So. But it doesn't. You don't know that. It could. Is your dad pretty funny? Yeah. Well, how is he funny? He he when he was like this and sweet and goodness. Um. Here we go on and he go in the hood, and Daddy says let me go, and then he hide the meds so none, um, so he can't find us, and then he finds us. You will have a career in broadcasting. Does your dad like candy? <clears throat> there we go. Okay, how do you feel about cotton candy? Try to take a blue whale to go. Have you ever read Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? It melts in your mouth. Ah, uh, it's called a sucker because you usually like suck on it, but that's fine. Is your dad's, like, is he strong? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, like he's got muscles like that? Yeah. Yeah. So w- what could he lift if he had to? Big things, like the house he could pick up. He could pick up your house? Mm-mm. A heavy thing. A heavy thing, like, like me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. If you lift to me, lifted my grandpa. Oh, I'm gonna try to lift your grandpa up sometime <laughs> too. I know. Wonder what he'll think about that. Could he pick the tree up? What about oh, like what? Maybe it was a, it was a shrub. Maybe just a shrub. No, he couldn't. Okay. So when you say he's strong, maybe it's just his personality. Maybe it's just like a metaphor. Not really strong. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a gift for your dad yet for Father's Day? I have some suggestions here just to save you from shopping. You don't look like guys who like to shop. I can usually tell. So w- let, me just, let me just look at a few options here. Does he wear ties? Does your dad like dogs? Mm-mm. Oh. Do you know how to tie a tie? No. Nope. Well, you should try. So it's a tie with a dog wearing ties. Do you see? The beautiful intricacy of that. No. No. Okay. It would be really, really trippy if, like, if the tie ha- with the dog with a t- wear- is wearing a tie on the tie and on his tie is another dog. Oh, I see where you're tie, going with that. Wearing another tie. You're right. It just- would he wear that tie? I don't know. If it doesn't make all his co workers puke, I think it's just like that. Happy Father's Day. 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 Stay. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I love you, Dad. I love you. I love you, dad. you dad. I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. I love you dad. I love you, Dad. And there goes the microphone.
0: Well, let me join in with all the kids in wishing all the fathers and stepfathers and adoptive fathers and foster fathers a happy Father's Day. We celebrate you today, including all the dads who are here at Central Campus, those of you who are joining us online, and also those of you who are at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie and Bridgeland in South Calgary, and also in the Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary. A few years ago, I was talking to a young man who had just become a father, and he shared how intimidated he was with the prospect of being a dad. He said, you know, my family was pretty dysfunctional. My dad was absent most of the time, and when he was around, we didn't get along too well. The last thing I want for my marriage and for our family is to replicate what I experienced growing up, and I really want um, my marriage and our family to be all that God wants it to be. But honestly, I, I don't know where to begin. I, I don't know what to do. I, I feel totally ill-equipped to be a father. Now, I assured him that he was not alone in his feelings and fears. I can recall as a young father feeling intimidated and unprepared uh, for my role as a father. In fact, I have yet to meet a father or mother who feel that they are doing a great job as parents and for example when I observe our sons and daughter-in-laws interact with their children how they love and care for them and establish boundaries and, and, and bring correction in such creative and effective ways how they grow them spiritually and integrate their love for God in all that they do I tell them every once in a while just what amazing parents they are and yet typically they will respond the same way and say well thanks dad but we sure don't feel like we're doing a very good job and so if you're feeling inadequate and ill-equipped as a parent, you are, you are not alone. Now, parenting is a huge responsibility and undertaking, and few, if any, people feel that they're doing a good job at it. Now, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, in Matthew 28, he was not only talking to his followers about investing in the lives of those who are new to the faith, He was also speaking to parents about raising up their children in the way of the Lord. Discipleship at its core is all about influence. It is influencing another person to move from self-reliance to God-reliance. To to move from self-centered living to God-centered living. To move away from my agenda and on to God's agenda. The Christian parent seeks to disciple their child in the same way. To love them and lead them to Jesus, to to move them from relying on their parents to taking the hand of Jesus and walking with him the rest of their lives. Now we understand this in principle, but many parents wonder how they do that practically. Recently I had a young couple Asked me exactly that. They said, based on your understanding of the Scriptures and on your experience as a parent, if you were to boil it all down to just one key principle, what would you say is the most effective way to disciple your children? And what I shared with them is really the focal point of this message. I believe the most effective way to disciple your children is to be faithful and faithful And growing disciple of Jesus Christ yourself if you want your children to love God and others then show them what that means and what that looks like by loving God and others yourself values and behaviors and attitudes are caught far more than they are taught And so whatever you hope and pray your children will be one day, with God's help, seek to be that yourself. And it will begin to ooze out of you and impact your kids. So just decompress. Be who God made you to be. And allow him to do his work through you. You stay focused on him. Now, having said that, I need you to understand two things. And First of all, in this, I am not saying that if you model a Christ-like life, you can have 100% assurance that your children will follow in your footsteps. There are no guarantees. Because God has given each of us a free will. And as a child reaches adulthood, they are in a position to decide which way they're going to go in life. And it may be totally contrary to all that you have taught them. It may be totally contract, uh, contract. It may be totally different. (laughs) From everything that you've modeled. And parents, the, the thing is you have no control over that. And you should not be carrying around false guilt if you earnestly sought to live a God-pleasing life and your children have chosen a different path. I remind you that Adam and Eve had a perfect father. They lived in a perfect environment. It was called paradise. They didn't have parents and in-laws to bug them or to blame. And yet they rebelled against their perfect father. All that to say, just because a parent is uh, good and godly doesn't mean that their children will automatically follow their footsteps. However, the good news is, if you are earnestly seeking to be a godly parent, there is a high likelihood that your children will follow your example. Again, no guarantees. Furthermore, I also want to remind us That our lives and our children's lives are ultimately in God's hands. There are things that come our way or in the life of our children that we have absolutely no control over. Our focus must not be on those things which we have no control over. We need to focus on the fact that God has chosen to partner with us as parents and he has given us the responsibility of bringing our children up in the way of the Lord we can't undo the past or the regrets of the past the only playground that we can play in is today and the good news is is that today is the first day of the rest of your life and with God's help and guidance we are in a position to make decisions that will move us toward the vision that God has not only for our life but also the life of our family so in the time remaining I want to get really practical and just talk about three ways that you can influence your children to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The first way is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In Matthew 20, uh, 22, we read of an incident uh, in which a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, an expert in the law, asked Jesus this question. Teacher, teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now, notice we are to love the Lord with all of our heart. It doesn't say we're to love the Lord somewhat, it doesn't say loving God is to be a part of our life or a part of our schedule. No, it essentially says that loving the Lord is to be at the center, at the very core of who we are. Loving the Lord with all of your heart means you give him your life. You surrender your life to him. It means that God is the object of your highest affection. And not just in your talk, but in your daily walk. You know, it's impossible To pass on to our children a value or a principle that we do not personally embrace. In other words, nothing happens through us that hasn't happened to us or is happening to us. We can say all that we want about how much we love Jesus, but if our love for him doesn't pass through the pores of our lives, our children will conclude otherwise. One of the most frustrating things for me was having coaches in sports who always would tell me what to do, but never show me what to do. And that's the playground that our kids view us in. Now again, we're not talking about perfection here. No, we're talking about the direction of our lives, the direction of our attitudes and our priorities. Are we truly passionate about Jesus and his call in our lives, his agenda for our lives? Or would we have to admit that our lives are largely absorbed with our own earthly agenda? For example, you may say that you love Jesus with all of your heart. But what will your kids conclude when they see most of your time outside of work devoted to doing more work? or to sports, or to bodybuilding, or watching TV, or surfing on the net. And the only time the name Jesus shows up in the home is at mealtime, during the mealtime prayer. You may say you love Jesus with all of your heart, but what will your kids conclude when you say going to school is mandatory, but going to church and engaging fully in the life of the church is optional. The church that Christ established and gave his life for. You may say you love Jesus with all of your heart but what will your kids conclude when you invest time and money providing them with the best opportunities in education in sports and music and other interests but you won't make the same commitment to serving and helping provide opportunities for your children's spiritual growth at home, and at church. You see, parents, we mustn't kid ourselves. I mean, you can say what you want, but you see, it's the way that we live our lives, the way we spend our time and our resources. These speak so much louder than our words the magazines and the books that you read, the television shows and movies that you watch, what you view on the internet, the language that you use, the way you spend your money, the frequency of your attendance at weekly worship services, and the degree of your involvement with other Christians in community, they all tell the real story of where your heart is at. And so if, for example, you want your children to have this relationship with God, talking to Him and listening to His voice, consider taking 15 minutes after a meal and have them open their Bibles and read a portion of Scripture together and ask them as they're reading and meditating on that portion of Scripture for just 10 minutes, to share with the rest of you what God's saying to them through that passage. Or maybe have them bring a journal or their computers most likely and have them share something of what God was saying to them through an incident that happened that week or in their time in God's word. If you want your children to develop a habit of going to God first with everything, then when they come to you with a problem, stop right then and there. And take it to the Lord in prayer. Demonstrate by your life that he's your default. You go to him first on all matters. If you want your children to experience all that Christ intended the church to be, then don't limit your involvement to just attending a weekend service. Discover the support, the encouragement, the care of the body of Christ that that Christ intended for his church by leading your family to engage in the ministries and the small groups of the church. Whatever it is you hope will characterize the life of your children like humility, forgiveness, hard work, grace, compassion, obedience, hospitality, respect for authority. Ask the Lord to help you to exemplify these wonderful qualities in your life. And so one way to influence your children to be fully devoted followers of Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. A second way is to love your family. The Bible is full of passages emphasizing the importance of loving one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, of course, this applies to all followers of Christ, but it should be lived out especially in the home. So first of all, love your spouse. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, most marriages begin with such optimism and enthusiasm. You know, experts refer to it as the romance stage, that wonderful time in life when a couple are lovesick, they temporarily lose their sanity, and they believe the person that they just married is the fourth person of the Trinity. You know, incapable of doing anything that would upset the other. That is until they hit the next stage. It's called reality. This stage usually hits sometime after the wedding, the day after, <laughs> week after. When a couple comes to the shocking realization that their spouse is not the fourth, fourth person of the Trinity, but is now displaying all the characteristics of a fallen angel from hell <laughs> they are no longer love sick they're just sick and mostly of each other and instead of thinking the best of each other and each other's motives they begin to think the worst they start focusing on their own desires rather than the interests and the desires of the other they allow little annoyances and habits to chip away at the ecstasy Of their love they stop taking they stop talking things out they carry grudges for longer periods of time they start taking each other for granted and they start taking their love for granted and over time these negative habits grow deeper and when the children of the marriage get older they begin to feel like they're living in an earthquake zone as mom and dad grow further and further apart, they, they fear that the plates of the earth are going to separate and that they're going to fall through the crevice. And the insecurity they feel is enormous. And that's why the best gift that you can give your children is the love and respect, is to love and respect your spouse. Because children build their sense of security on the foundation of your love for one another. They also learn to relate to others on the basis of how they see you relating to each other. If they see you serving each other, respecting each other, uh, caring for each other, being affectionate and sensitive and forgiving and gracious and patient with each other, they'll be more inclined to treat family members and other people the same way. And so parents, by God's grace and with God's help, I challenge you to protect and to nurture your relationship by intentionally and persistently loving one another supremely. Your children need to see that mom and dad have something special going. They need to see you touch each other and show affection for each other often. They need to see you serve each other and encourage and affirm one another. They need to know that your marriage is solid, that there is nothing anybody can do to divide you. When your children see that you're able to love and respect each other, even through disagreements or disappointments or tragedy and failure, they will believe that your love for them is unconditional as well. A solid relationship with your spouse will say to your children, we love you dearly and we're going to be loyal to you even as we are loyal and faithful to one another. So regardless of the regrets of the past, I want you to understand that you are in a key position to positively impact your family by choosing today to love your spouse the way that Jesus loves the church. And let's not forget, he died for the church. That's how great his love is. So show your children how to love their future spouse in the way that you love your spouse. Furthermore, love your children. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, I can be an incredibly gifted person. I can have amazing faith. I can accomplish great things. In fact, I can be the most famous, the most successful, the most wealthy and powerful person in the world. But if I do not have love, I have nothing. Rick Warren reminds us the purpose of life is learning how to love. How to love God, how to love each other and other people. But we often forget this because our culture doesn't reward love. Our culture rewards accomplishment. And so we focus on accomplishing things. Our world rewards appearance. And so we focus on looking good. Our world rewards power and position and possessions. And so we give our lives to these things. And as we do, we begin skimming on relationships. Particularly those nearest and dearest to us. We take the love that we share with those that we love for granted. Because we buy into this lie that all these other things matter more. And our culture feeds that because, let's face it, you know, when you work really hard, you know, you get the promotions eventually and you get the bonuses annually. Whereas parenting is a lifetime venture. And sometimes it's decades before you really have any idea how you did as a parent. And even then, you're not always sure. And that's why we need to trust, not in what our culture feeds us, but we need to trust in the Word of God. In passages like Galatians 5, 6, that says, the only thing that counts, this is what God says, folks, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. A day is coming when we're going to realize that all of the trophies, the promotions, the stuff that we gave our lives to mean little to nothing to us. And the only thing that's really going to matter is our love for God and what we did for Him and the investment of love we made into our family, into the lives of our friends. So love your family. Love them by accepting them, and affirming them. Lee Strobel in his book, Case for Grace, he tells how he and his father had a very strained relationship that came to a head one day when his father in anger told him, I don't have enough love for you to fill my small finger. The rejection that Lee felt in that moment led him to storm out of their house, determined never to return. And it was only years later when he learned the truth of God's love and acceptance of him, God's amazing grace. It was only then that he came to realize how for years he was on a mission to prove that he didn't need his dad or his dad's affirmation. For years he was driven, he was ambitious, he was cold, he was brash. And all of it was fueled by a rage that he had inside, stemming from the rejection that he felt from his father. You know, we all long for our father's affirmation. And for some of us, we'll never receive that in this life because our Father is no longer alive. But friend, I just want to remind you, the Bible tells us that our Heavenly Father is a father to the fatherless, and that He loves us with an everlasting love. And we see this in the way that He reached out to His own Son. In Luke chapter 3, We read about the baptism of Jesus, and it says that a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This was the time that just before Jesus began his ministry. And his heavenly father, I mean, we're talking about Jesus here. You'd think he doesn't need anything. And yet his heavenly father knew. That his son, who had become fully human for the sake of humanity, that his son, Jesus, needed the affirmation of his father. And so he says to him, son, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I'm pleased with you, that I accept you, that I believe in you. You know, folks, all parenting skills in the world... Can't compensate for a child feeling loved and accepted by the parent. Unconditional acceptance says, I love you no matter what. I may not like what you do, and I'll probably tell you, but I will never give you an excuse to stop believing that you are loved and accepted by me. So love your children by accepting and affirming them. Love them by respecting them. Take time to listen to their viewpoint, even when they're five years old. And when you sit at the dinner table, ask your seven-year-old or your 13-year-old, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? about this concern that I have. Think about the kind of respect that communicates to your children when you involve them in the things that matter to you. Be patient with them and use the same tone of voice with them that you would use with an adult friend, even when you have something hard to share with them. I mean, if someone yells at you or ridicules you in front of others, How do you feel as an adult? I mean, you immediately feel a breakdown in the relationship. You you, you think, you know, this person has a low opinion of me. I really don't matter to this person. Well, a child is no different. Love your child through affirmation, acceptance. Love your child through respect. Respect. Love your child through verbal and appropriate physical affection. Some of you had parents who, who never or rarely told you that they loved you. And you might find it awkward to do so now. You may be thinking, you know, I love my wife and my kids, but, but I'm just not the touchy-feely, kissy-drooly type. Well, my word to you is this, you know, get over it. Just get over it and get on with telling your kids often, that you love them. Someone between services told me a story of, a, of a, a man that he heard on focused on the family. A man sharing how his father had never told him that he loved him, had never hugged him. And he heard a sermon something like this and he said, that's it. And he went out and not only began to hug his family and tell his family that he loved them, but he went To his father, who has Alzheimer, and it was really awkward at first. But he began to hug his dad, and he began to tell him he loved him. And eventually, over time, his dad began to hug him back. And he still remembers the day when he was getting into the car, and his dad had walked out of the care facility somehow and was with a caregiver, perhaps, and was standing there with his hands like this. He'd forgotten that he'd already got his hug. But he wanted another one. The man who told that story was Michael Reagan. His father was President Ronald Reagan. Get over it, friends. Get over it. It may feel really awkward at first. But it'll get much easier over time. You count on it. And communicate your love often with appropriate physical touch. A loving slap on the back, a quick hug, even rustling their hair as they walk past you, communicates, I love you. Unless, of course, they just spent the last half hour putting gel on their hair and getting it all perfect. (laughs) And then thirdly, Love your child by spending time with him. Craig Groeschel says a lot of parents do what he calls pit stop parenting. Parenting in 12 to 15 seconds, the time it takes for a NASCAR car to have a pit stop. You know, a kid comes home, this is typically how it happens, kid comes home, so how was your day? I was great. How was your lunch? Oh, great. Did you do your homework? Great. Did you wear clean underwear? Great. Okay, well, just remember, don't have sex before you're married. Good night, son. Love you lots. See you later. See, that's a 15-second pit stop. And let's face it, in our you know our, our 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 rat race world, that isn't atypical. It's pit stop parenting. Okay, hurry up. Get in the back of the van. Okay, hurry up. Well, Mom, you know, I'm kind of hungry. You know, what are we going to eat for dinner? Uh, Just look between the seats. There might be a fry or two in there you can grab. You know, just go for it. Go for it. Hey, kids, look, there's Dad driving by. Everybody wave. Hi, Dad. Good to see you, Dad. We'll see you again sometime. I know that's slightly exaggerated. But here are the facts. They've actually studied this. The average dad spends 37 seconds a day engaged in meaningful conversation with his kids. 37 seconds a day. I don't know how they measure that, how they did that, but that's what they tell us. You know, actually all of this makes me think of single parents and the additional challenges that you face in this area. Many times trying to juggle a job and time with your kids. We need to pray for the single parents among us. And we not need to do more than just pray for them. We need to pray about being spiritual uncles and spiritual aunts and grandpas and grandmas to their kids. Those of you who don't have kids, or those whose kids have grown up, I want to challenge you to pray about coming alongside some of our single parents this way. All that to say, though, in this fast-paced culture, it isn't easy to make time for our kids. But we must not cheat in this area. It's a decision we have to make, we have to commit to, without excuses. Billy Graham was once asked by a reporter, if you had to live your life all over again, what would you do differently? And here's what he had to say. He didn't say, well, I would have done 10 more evangelistic outreaches. He didn't say I would have invested in more pastors and more leaders to change the rest of the world. He didn't say I would have written another best-selling book. He said I would have spent more time with my children. Folks, the greatest gift that we can give to our children or to anyone, for that matter, is not the gift of more stuff. Not the gift of more opportunity for them to succeed. It's simply the gift of ourselves. The gift of time. The gift of a listening ear. Rochelle tells of a time he climbed into bed alongside his five-year-old son. And he asked him, Sam, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Sam was quiet for a moment. And then he said, Dad, I want to do what you do. And he immediately thought, oh, great, he's going to be a preacher. So he said, so you want to be a pastor? The boy said, no. I want to do what you do. I want to be a daddy like you one day. He said, so why do you want to be a daddy? And Sam said, because daddies love Jesus. Because daddies love their mummies. And because daddies love me. Friends, if you want your children to love one another, then show them how by loving them. And then thirdly and finally, if you want to influence your children... To be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your family, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, verse 39, Jesus said, The second greatest commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Most of you will remember the tragic shooting that occurred in Newtown, Massachusetts. A little over two years ago. In which a young kid went into the school and shot a bunch of kids. Well, do you know that since that time, there have been over 70 school shootings in the United States? 70. More than 70. 70. What is wrong with our society when children are killing children? Well, there are many explanations, I'm sure, but one that I've been reading a lot about is that our youth are bored. They've got nothing to live for. Even among Christians, an increasing number of teens often complain about how bored they are in life how they feel they don't belong, how boring church is. And yet when some of these youth go on a missions trip to a foreign country, a country that has absolutely nothing to offer in terms of stimulating mind-blowing technology and the like, But they're there for a God-given purpose to love and to serve the people in that country. And they begin to build relationships with the children and the youth in a certain community. And they play soccer on a dirt field. And in time, prayerfully share their story with some of those kids. And then invite them to a pretty primitive worship service each evening to introduce them to the Jesus that they know and love. In other words, when they are on mission, they never complain about being bored or feeling like they don't belong. Rather, they pray and they worship and more passionately, they feel closer to God and each other than they ever do back home. So why the difference? I submit to you it's because our children and our teens just like the rest of us are looking for something more than the pursuit of pleasure. Something more than more stuff. Something more than mind-blowing activities which we're killing ourselves to provide for them. Deep down inside they want to know and love God. They want to give their lives to that which is going to count for eternity. Because they, we, were made for this. Well, you don't have to go on a mission trip for that to happen in your life or the life of your family or the life of your community group. All you need to do is take Jesus at his word Join together as a family, join together as a group of friends and begin to pray for those that live right around you, asking God not only to open up their lives to you, but also to show you how he would have you minister to them and then just step out and begin to do what he calls you to do and then watch him amaze you again and again. You see, I believe that quality family time Includes more than just spending leisurely time together as a family, as important as that is. Quality family time is not just parties and games and fun-filled weekends. Quality family time, in fact, quality small group time, is being on mission together. It is serving together in our church or in our community or whoever it is that Jesus puts on our heart or whoever it is he brings across our path. It is living with the daily awareness as we interact with him that there are people he wants us to meet. There are people he wants us to listen to or to speak into their lives or to serve. Now you do that. And not only will your children no longer be bored with their life and all the stuff you've bought them. No longer will they be bored with their Christian experience. But you as a family will grow closer to God and each other in the process. Don Miller tells the story of a 14-year-old girl who started to dress in all black and wear white makeup gothic style. She started to get into drugs, started dating a guy who who wouldn't have conversations. He would just grunt one-syllable words, spent his entire day playing video games. Just the kind of bozo that every father wants his daughter to date. And the girl's father was beside himself, and he, he didn't know what to do. So he was talking to Don Miller about this. And Don said, you know, it seems to me that she is finding the idea of dating this particular guy a whole lot more compelling than the story of your family. A whole lot more compelling than your life and your mission as a family. Well, this really hit the dad hard. And so for three weeks... He began to do a bunch of research, and he found that there was this particular little town in Mexico that badly needed an orphanage and about $25,000 to build it. And so he sat his whole family down one day and he said, it's a new day for our family. We're going to build an orphanage in Mexico. His wife and his kids thought that he was crazy. He said, if we don't do this, there may be orphans who die we must do this. Well after a while the family realized that their dad wasn't gonna back away from this he was serious about doing this and so in a week or two his daughter came to him and said hey dad I can probably use my Facebook page to generate a little bit of interest in this and maybe even do some fundraising. And she began thinking and talking a little more about how she could leverage the resources that she had to try to do something. The family would meet together regularly to brainstorm and talk about what they needed to do. One of the other siblings said one day, you know, we've got to go down and visit this little town to see where we're going to build this orphanage. And so they did that. The entire family began to really catch the vision for this new venture of faith sometime later the daughter was talking to her dad said oh by the way dad just want you to know I broke up with the guy I was dating and he asked her he said why'd you break up with him and she said because he's a loser dad he plays video games all day we're trying to save orphans in Mexico We're trying to save orphans in Mexico. You see, folks, that's what begins to happen when you together as a family decide to live for something that really matters. When you go to the Lord together with your friends, with your family, and you pray, oh, Lord, here we are. Our hands are open to you. Who do you want us to serve? Who do you want us to reach out to? Where do you want us to go? Who on our street? Who in our neighborhood? In our city? Where in the life of our church do you want us to serve? Friends, if you want your children to love their neighbor, then step out and lead them in loving your neighbor. These are just some of the ways that you can influence your children to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. When you live all out for Jesus, there is a high probability that they will follow in your footsteps. I'm going to finish up by reading the words of a song some of you will know. Because the words, I want to read it because the words summarize so well the main point of this message. It's called Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin. It was a popular song back in the 70s. And it continues to ring so true today. And the lyrics go like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came into this world in the usual way but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy, blue, man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then, son. We'll get together then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And then he walked away but his smile never dimmed. And he said, I'm going to be just like him. Yeah, I'm going to be just like him. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. And he said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice, sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon little boy blue and the man on the moon when you're coming home son I don't know when but we'll get together then dad we'll get together then I'd like all the dads the granddads the adoptive dads foster dads stepdads I want you to stand right now I just want to pray for you as we close and before I pray I I just want to say that almost every year after a Father's Day message like this there will be a father or two who will talk to me and he will share how he feels like such a failure as a dad and what I said to him is what I want to say to all of you here right now. Today is the first day of the rest of your lives. It's never too late to make a decision like the Apostle Paul made centuries ago when he said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but this one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It only takes one decision to become a better dad. What is past is past. You can't change the past, but you can put your hand in the strong hand of God and begin the journey of becoming the Father that he's called you to be today. It's never too late. I'm gonna ask the rest of you to stand, find a father near you. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Let's just bless them right now. Just bless them, find a dad near you. And let's pray together. Our father, I wanna thank you for every father in this room. They matter to you. And Lord, we acknowledge that they have a tough challenge, juggling, demanding jobs, schedules, and trying to raise a godly family. And Father, while we have so much to be thankful for, we also have our share of regrets. We all have things to confess, and we thank you for making it possible for us to let go of the past and to strain toward what is ahead. Lord, we want to get this fathering thing right. We really do. And so I pray, Lord, that as we take hold of your hand in faith, that you would give every father here the wisdom and the strength to not just succeed in the marketplace, Lord, but also to succeed in their homes, to raise up the kind of children that you want them to be. Lord, I pray that you would watch over them And their family, that you would give them the courage, regardless of what their age is, that you would just give them the courage to live the life that you're calling them to live now. To make the hard decisions that you're calling them to make now. And Lord, as they step out and as they earnestly seek to honor you and to live all out for you, that one day by your Spirit, we pray that their children, would follow you as their Lord and King because they saw Dad follow you as Lord and King. And that they would say, thank you, Lord, for my dad. We pray this all in your precious name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Give a dad a hug around you, okay? All right. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.